Well, everyone here deserves a medal for coming here rather than uh, going somewhere beautiful in nature today. So we're going to be talking about how to live so that hopefully we also can live. Um, learning how to live, I like to just set a, a preliminary framework. Uh, and the direction that we go in during our work together today uh, will have everything to do with what's on your mind. It's not meant to be just a set of uh, endless uh, talks and principles, uh, but a uh, an interaction between so a framework that I'll put out a, a little bit and I think it'll become clear to you as we go on and applying it to our lives right here right now this is supposed to be very practical couldn't be more practical if it isn't then something's off with me uh, self-knowing in action learning how to live a few words about those terms and um, uh, why? Why do, why do we use that language? What I'm <clears throat> going to attempt to do, it'll just be a, a bare beginning because really uh, it's the whole of Buddha Dharma that's involved, uh, is introduce us to another way of looking at the very same teachings and practices that perhaps everyone in this room has some familiarity with already. And that is, I'm going to turn the Buddha's words into a language of, of learning a little bit more. It's there. It's not that I'm taking great liberties. Uh, the Buddha is considered a great physician, uh, curing us from um, the ailments that we humans have. Not so much physical ailments, but psychological, you could say spiritual. Um, he's also a great educator. There have been many, many enlightened people fully awakened people in every religion, tradition, or even no religion or tradition. Uh, perhaps the Buddha is one of the greatest in terms of leaving behind a legacy of actual techniques and methods uh, in sufficient detail so that if there was no one around to help us, you could get started and find that it's useful. There were no teachers when I started. I just had two or three crucial books. I started doing it. And it was obvious that it was a, a very helpful thing to do. Um, so learning how to live implies that we don't know how to live. At least to me it does. If you feel insulted by that, probably go on a picnic today. You know, go swimming or something. Uh, because what it's, what it's uh, it, again, I'm obviously uh, paraphrasing, uh, what the Buddha is saying, human race, um, bringing it up to date, you have extraordinary technology. Uh, you have wonderful machines, computers, uh, clean bathrooms, uh, all kinds of marvelous uh, vehicles that uh, travel quickly under, in the water, on the ground, and in the air. Uh, it seems like uh, you've used your brain in a remarkable way, just extraordinary. But we don't seem to know how to live. Uh, so that seems to be the missing piece. What I'm suggesting by saying learning how to live is that it's not a matter of either I don't know how to live or I do know how to live. Uh, I would be more worried about someone who says they do know how to live, frankly. Uh, it's more an ongoing process of however you are and however you see yourself. 
uh, beginning to take a fresh look into yourself and to see how you actually live, actually. Capital A, italics, bold, uh, whatever, neon, off and on, actually. How do we actually live? Uh, not how we think we live, should live, uh, how we were brought up to live, images we ha have of ourselves. And that happens moment by moment if you start paying attention. That's why self-knowing is a verb. Self-knowledge is a much more familiar term. But to me, knowledge is something that you acquire, or at least I'm using it that way, quite valuable. Uh, in this work, it can be a tremendous impediment. Uh, knowing is something that happens in the active present, and then it's not really uh, useful so much anymore. It means it's the, the quality of paying attention to how we live in this moment, and there's a learning, especially as it starts, as the, the seeing becomes clearer. There's a learning that is inseparable from the seeing. Clear seeing, uh, very often and finally it can become all the time, clear seeing and learning are the same thing. That is, uh, we're sometimes, uh, we're, uh, it's considered we're, we're disillusioned with life. Uh, or the Buddha is saying that one of the poisons that we humans have are ignorance or delusion. means we're not seeing accurately. And here I don't mean according to the Buddha or any, any other favorite teacher or philosopher or prophet. Uh, when the mind becomes clear, we see things as they are. And if there is suffering, then there is. It's not a particularly Buddhist kind of thing or non-Buddhist. It's just that the human being is in a state of uh, pain or discomfort or whatever language you like to use. Okay, so disillusionment uh, actually uh, can be a good thing if you know what to do with it because according to these teachings we're already in living in illusion a lot of the time and we don't know it and many people um, would even be insulted so a fresh start is needed of taking a fresh look, but it's ongoing. In my own case, uh, I feel um, the course never ends. It goes right into the to death. Uh, it would be nice. I know degrees end, fortunately, right? You can get, finally, you graduate, whatever it is you're doing, and you get a piece of paper that said you're done with this. Maybe we move on and get another one and another one. So courses end, degrees end, but this kind of learning never ends, as far as I can tell. Uh, if you think that you've perfected life, uh, well, I hope you have, but I haven't seen anyone yet. Uh, one uh, Zen master, uh, a tradition that I have a soft spot for, uh, he died, so I never met him, but I spent a bit of time with one of his students, and I asked him, how does he decide who, uh, who to give transmission to to make a Zen master? And he said, oh, no, he doesn't do that. He doesn't feel you can master Zen. Uh, plug in life for Zen. That is, it's an ongoing challenge. And uh, if you get cocky, uh, life has a way of uh, knocking you off your pedestal. Life is much more, is much messier than the teachings. The teachings are nice and neat and tidy. And if you have a good rational, logical mind, uh, you can derive a lot of comfort, a feeling of security, and direction. They're there for a reason. Uh, but life is uh, full of surprises, 
in my experience, bigger and messier and much more powerful than any teachings. So and what the Buddha is saying is, uh, listen to the teaching. It's a balance between learning how to listen to the teachings and listening to your heart, listening to yourself. They're both needed. It's not a matter of one versus the other. But typically, we do get uh, extreme. That is, you'll have people who have handed their responsibility for living over to some sacred text. It says in the book, I was raised that way, in Orthodox uh, Jewish circles. It says in the book, and fine, finished. If it says in the book, that's it. And then the then but endless arguments and interpretations for centuries. Well, what does it mean? What, what does the book mean when it says something? Okay. The other extreme is Mr. and Mrs. Free Spirit. I don't need anything. I don't need anyone. Just awareness itself. I just open up to life and trust my heart, look into my heart all the time. Uh, that, fine, I hope that works for you, but typically the starting point is our heart is the problem. It's, it's the old mind is saying, I just have to look at my old mind, which has got me into this mess, and this old mind, uh, it will, uh, of course, it's going to see exactly what to do. It can't, it doesn't know how to. Because self-deception is extremely powerful for us humans. And we don't think it's self-deception or it wouldn't be self-deception. We believe we know, we believe we know what's going on. Uh, practice is a system of uh, kind of stages of disillusionment. Now, uh, y y people get disillusioned anyway. I'm sure everyone in this room knows what I'm talking about. Um, so learning how to live is paying attention to actual living, and of course, uh, since I'm assuming everyone here is a meditator or an aspiring meditator, that means that there's a contemplative aspect to this, uh, sitting quietly by yourself, whether in a, a monastery, a cave, a forest, a CIMC, or your home. Uh, in fact, uh, walking over here, I was trying to take a fresh look at the forms that we use, and I realized uh, it's in these... Uh, we humans are, uh, for thousands of years, as far back as we know, we're trying to be happy. We want to understand what's going on. And it's uh, the, the great question that Socrates brought to us. How is one to live? How should I live? That's the question. Uh, if you don't take that question, you may not find out how to do it. What you will be doing is living out your ancestors' way of doing things with some modifications. Or is it... Uh, condition from the past. Most of us are, the, the past is alive and well, and it's not, it keeps us from a fresh uh, ability to experience the present. Um, Self-knowing uh, is looking into ourselves. Uh, what I was amused by is that um, to me, we, we humans, unless you really have a very serious brain disorder, we want to be happy. We want to be, have self-fulfillment. Uh, we want to be at peace with ourselves and with others. And yet, it doesn't seem to work out. Okay? Uh, and what the Buddha is saying is, the only way it can work out is you have to uh, look at the very same mind that is causing the problem. So a good deal of what meditation is, certainly at the beginning, is re-educating the mind, training it, so that it is able to do this 
Because if, we, if you do nothing with your mind, um, it might be difficult to look at fear. Uh, if it's suggested, well, if you're frightened, uh, how do you think you're going to deal with fear? Do you think you're just, it, it's just going to go away, or you tie a string around your neck, or uh, a string around your, or someone uh, pats you on the head and says, "You're blessed, my child," or uh, whatever it is. Uh, at least the bias here, if you want to, to me it isn't the bias, but of course I could be deluded, and you have to take that seriously. Uh, is that if you want to be free of something, you have to get to know it. You have to come in close, and if you want to get to know a person, you have to be willing to get in close and to receive them. And it isn't always what you want that comes to you from another person or a situation or you tell me. And then if they come in close, then you have to pay attention. Uh, and if you want to get to know them, you have to remain open. Typically what happens is we get some glimpse of what a person is, even what we call intimate, and then that forms images of who the person is, and then we see them through that. So it's an ongoing, self-knowing, is uh, learning how to keep the mind fresh all the time. It's dying to the past every day. You could say it from moment to moment. Uh, that sounds uh, like something impossible to do. And uh, I'm not going to say it's impossible or possible, uh, but it's an ongoing uh, approach of beginning to see when we pay attention uh, beginning to see uh, what our mind how our mind actually behaves and the consequences of having a mind that behaves this way and start very very simply now what was amusing to me was that oh now I understand a retreat is in a sense tying us down sort of like just go in that big room there and let's just limit it for today Keep quiet, shut up, and, we're, and you can't read books, you can't turn on your cell phone, you can't call home, uh, you can't eat, uh, all the things that you can't do. There's no video, there's no tape, there's no iPod, there's no nothing. Okay, so what's left? Just me. So it's in a certain way, it's an ingenious forcing us to take a look at ourselves and cutting down the escapes. Clearly, we're ingenious, so you can sit on the cushion and look very spiritual and be gone. Not you could be three quarters asleep or fantasizing. Or uh, I, someone admitted to me uh, in Korea when I was on a retreat, they had spent the last month writing poetry of a three-month retreat. Said, hmm. uh, "Come all the way, thousands of miles, uh, to pretend to be a meditator and write poetry." Okay. So the form, silence. Um, is helping us do something which apparently on our own we, we really find difficult. Know ourselves, to know ourselves. And um, the, so there's a certain kind of uh, precious and valuable knowing that comes from temporarily giving everything else up and just sitting quietly with yourself. If you're willing to learn that art of self-knowing uh, and develop the skills that are needed for it, the main one, the first one is the ability to observe. If you don't know how to pay attention, uh, particularly to your, your insides, you won't be able to do this. You'll hate it, and you'll want to get out of it, and, and we will. Okay. Um, we do know how to observe. We're, many of us are experts at it. 
It, whatever your, it might be your hobby or it might be your, your professional work where we're highly alert, sensitive, attentive. And when we're in that realm, uh, we're flawless. We're fully there and present. But then typically, when it comes to taking that ability and transferring it to taking a look at ourselves, uh, that we, we have a difficult time doing that. We humans seem to have a great ability to learn about everything but ourselves. We don't want to do it. Uh, we seem to, but you know, if you set your mind to doing things, have, have all of you had the experience at least once in life of really setting your mind to accomplish something and doing it? Mustering up all the energy, determination, putting up with frustration, disappointments, and doing it. It could be something very, very simple, like getting through a day with, with, in some situation. Uh, so a certain amount of resolve is needed. You have to want to. Do you want to learn about yourself? Do you want to learn how to live? It's not a method. I can't, there are endless techniques. If you take all three traditions, uh, the Theravadan, Southeast Asia mainly, and, uh, and uh, the Zen and the Tibetan traditions, where uh, this makes up most of Buddhism, now it's in the West. I can't count the number of techniques that there are. They're endless. There's something for everyone. It's a huge department store. You like to visualize? Fine, go to the Tibetans. You don't like to visualize? Come to 331 Broadway. You like chanting, bowing, uh, outfits, new name? Go to the Cambridge Zen Center. You don't like that stuff? Come here. In other words, this is for low budget. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, it's uh, whatever it is. Uh, but there's something that has to come prior to that. Are you interested? Uh, do you see the need to understand yourself? Because there is an assumption here that we suffer unnecessarily a lot because we don't understand ourselves. We don't understand the consequences of our actions. We don't. And even when we see the consequences lead to suffering, we don't really see it, or we don't see it with, a, with enough depth for it to transform ourselves. And so the practice uh, and the job of people like myself is to constantly bring ourselves back to now, to how is it for you right now, how is it for you right now. The breath is one way to help us um, re uh, refine the mind, Retrain it, re-educate it, so that the mind has the ability to look steadily at itself. We start with something very natural and simple like breathing. It could be many other things, too. There are 40 objects to develop concentration in uh, one classical Buddhist text. We start there, but as most of you know, maybe all of you know, uh, we're trying to develop that ability to receive everything that is called our life, me, mine. The cushion has an, a very, very important role to play. If you fasten onto the cushion and think it all happens while sitting, if I just sit enough, then I'll be wise and free. I've seen that. Unless you break through at some ex with extraordinary depth, and I have not seen that happen, uh, I've heard about it happen. It happens once in a while, typically not even by meditating. Ramana Maharshi, one of the great sages of the 20th century, uh, goes into a swoon and apparently dies at 17 years old, comes out of it uh, to a great extent awake. Well, how did that happen? Beats me. 
Maybe past lives? Maybe. I don't know. And there have been others. Uh, a, a modern uh, person, apparently, I don't know the, the gentleman, uh, and I've heard a little of his teaching, seemed pretty solid, uh, was suicidally depressed. And out of that came, he woke up rather than taking his life. So who knows? But uh, we're not waiting for extreme situations or extraordinary conditions to wake us up. We're, we're developing a way so that uh, wakefulness itself becomes a way of life. Meditation is a way of living. It isn't a technique that you do on the side. It may seem so at the beginning. You set aside time for sitting. And typically when someone comes in and talks about their practice, say, how's your practice going? 99% of the time what I get back is, oh, I, I didn't have time to sit much this week. I say, I asked about your practice, not, how, not your sitting. Sitting is one expression, an important one, of, of learning how to be awake. But you can do this practice anywhere, anytime. Life is constantly teaching, and that's, of course... Uh, underlying what I'm trying to suggest today. Constantly, no, no let up. Okay, this self-knowing, it's the basic question that perhaps cuts through all philosophic, religious, at least spiritual approaches. Who am I? My interest in it started at a very young age, growing up in a completely Russian Jewish immigrant community and, being, and uh, learning how to assimilate and become an American. So there were certain hours I was expected to be an American, and certain hours I would uh, be taking Orthodox Hebrew school training, uh, and uh, uh, Yiddish was spoken, Hebrew was spoken, and then I would go and play baseball and football, and, and then I'd go back to this. And the two cultures were very, very deep in me, and at a certain point, well, who am I? And I narrowed that search down to, am I a Russian Jewish guy, or am I an American guy? And that, they played tennis with each other for years. And uh, no, I'm an American guy, and no, no, I'm tired of that old stuff, you know, like, blah, 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 blah. you know, that's for grandma and grandpa, you know. Uh, and then I'd feel guilty, and I'd, uh, grandma and grandpa are wonderful. So then I'd suddenly become, no, I'm a Russian Jewish guy. <laughs> and then, but I love baseball, and I, you know, I, I want to, etc. And at a certain point, years, I realized I'm, this is a false battle. I mean, whichever one I pick is very limited. And it's not going to be accurate. And finally, it will produce suffering. Now, I would say until I came to the Dharma, uh, I didn't have a view that went beyond all of that. But I was interested. I was interested because I was suffering. I have to resolve this. How, you know, well, how do I live? How do I eat? How do I dress? Uh, the cultures are very, very different. And more and more, uh, that unfolded. And... Uh, to begin with, for myself, the Greeks were tremendously helpful as a freshman in college, uh, especially Socrates. Uh, and there's a lot in Shakespeare as well. Uh, I have a friend who's a, a, philosophy, a philosophy professor, and we've been having some interesting exchanges. And all of this, uh, the significance and importance of knowing yourself, it's not exclusively Asian. It's, I would say, human, but it's been very refined and developed. I, uh, for purposes of today, uh, he, he, we talked about some things and he put it in writing. Here's something from Shakespeare. Well, I'm going to skip. It's from Hamlet. Uh, you, it's famous. I'm going to skip what leads up to it. This above all, to thine own self be true. 
and it must follow as the night the day, thou canst not then be false to any man, woman. Uh, farewell, my blessing season, this in thee. Um, what is being suggested here is that as you get to know yourself, getting to know yourself and living are inseparable. That's why I'm saying self-knowing in action. Uh, we tend to think who am I is a static activity. Like you pull over to the side or who am I and then question. And, uh, whereas what I'm saying, it's um, hardly static. It's an ongoing thing. Moreover, what is a satisfactory answer or even where you start to look uh, varies. Uh, changes as you change if you keep doing, following this path. Let me uh, make that more concrete. Uh, my first teacher of these things, uh, an Indian gentleman named Krishnamurti, uh, after 10 days with him, he left me with this homework. Uh, he didn't tell me how to sit. He didn't tell me how to do walking meditation. Uh, he just said, pay attention as to how you actually live, emphasizing actually. So I'm just parroting it. I'm just giving it to you now. And he also said, put your house in order. Now, maybe that starts with neatening up your room. I mean, mommies will like this, you know. <laughs> I'm on your side. Okay. Uh, and guys will hate it because we tend to be a little messier, don't we? Until, unless you've lived a lot in Zen monasteries and you don't know how to be messy because you're afraid you'll get whacked. <laughs> and the military. The military will do it. I've had both. Um, When you start out, let's say uh, you, uh, you've all been doing this, even if you've never heard anything that's been said here, just to live, you learn. Everyone l learns something by living. I can't imagine a human being living who doesn't learn something by being alive. Forget about any teachings, methods, uh, Socrates, Shakespeare. Life is, uh, you fall down, you get up, so things get learned. Hardship, success, and so forth. Uh, I learned in the, the, uh, the, hard, the, the university in the streets, or what's the phrase, uh, the school of hard knocks and so forth. So everyone learns some things, and as people get older, they tend to harden into it and then lord that over young people who, of course, have to make incredibly stupid fresh mistakes. Uh, and then we hear from an older person how stupid that is, uh, even though they did it when we were, they were our age. Uh, and uh, can't understand that uh, we're stupid. It's our turn to be stupid. Okay? But that can harden and be with you for the rest of your life, and then it, it doesn't really help very much, if at all. Um, to begin with, this self-knowing, let's say you take it on, and I would say to practice Vipassana or Zen or uh, certain kinds of Tibetan Buddhism, all the Buddhist schools, uh, you can't understand what the Buddha is talking about unless you begin to understand yourself. You can read the entire corpus of the Buddha, all the suttas, all the Zen koans, uh, all the incredible commentaries in the Tibetan literature. They're all pointing to get to know yourself because you can master the text. And if it isn't followed by uh, understanding, self-understanding, uh, it may help somewhat, it may inspire you somewhat, but uh, it's just borrowed learning. And some of us are very good at it. We can quote till the cows come home. Okay. Uh, I, one of the most impressive people I met, a teacher I met in Korea, was illiterate. He still thought the world was flat, and you couldn't convince him. 
and he was happy and radiant and people just loved to spend time with him and he thought the world was flat never convinced him right to the end okay and then he, he threw the ball back to there were three of us three westerners up there on this mountain and he said great you're right I'm a stupid old Korean monk I don't know anything I'm illiterate I can't even sign my name uh, and you were all very educated intelligent people but are you happy you know uh, you know the the uh, i.e., why did you travel thousands of miles? Uh, you don't speak the language. You get dysentery. Uh, you have to wear strange clothes. Uh, you don't know what's going on. Um, what's, what, why? Why are you willing to go through those hoops? What, what's missing in your life? Nothing missing in his life. He seemed to be just having a great time. I met someone like that in Mexico once, too, an, an old Indian. Um, At first, when you begin self-knowing, it's taking stock of yourself. A lot of it is that. You begin to see, and some of it will be the very same things that come up in a good psychotherapy or even a not good psychotherapy, or just by being sensitive and intelligent and paying attention to how you live as best you can. You start to learn, but what it is is about your person, your personality. You start seeing where you're, you need a little bit of work, uh, where you're a little bit off here, uh, where you're too much of this and not enough of that. Um, I would say just taking stock of yourself. You see certain character flaws that you want to improve because you see that it's not, not helpful for the people in your life or for yourself. Habits that are destructive whether it's eating too much or not eating enough or you know, endless ways in which we want to reform ourselves. You start to see that, okay, I do too much of that. I'll cut back on that. And so to begin with, self-knowing is learning about what you're learning about yourself is familiar. It's going to be familiar to you. You've already, especially if you grew up in a psychological culture, and I would say uh, Western Europe and the United States and Canada are. They're very psychologically sophisticated. Okay, uh, and so it's find out who you are in a conventional sense. You might have a bunch of adjectives, and we, we describe ourselves to, to new people. You know, I'm a such and such. You meet a new person. One of the first things you tell them who you are. Of course, it is started very, very early. Uh, adults look into our eyes, and they tell us who we are. We get from them, not too bright, this Larry. You know, you know, or uh, he's a no. They didn't do that. <laughs> Just the opposite. I've had to work that a different. Uh, oh, he's very sickly. Now, that one, you know, it just adults look into our eyes and by without language or with language, they start to tell us about ourselves. And then the teachers come in and the friends, and before we know it, we have notions about ourselves. And that just grows as we are challenged by life, and we find we're good at this and not good at that, and the society values this but not that. Um, and we try to fit in, and we try to be successful, but we're not, but we are. Uh, and so self-knowing and liberation, uh, good therapy, I'm not saying any kind of therapy, is on that level. And it's basically improving your sense of who you are in a Convention, in conventional here, I'm not using it in a derogatory way. I mean, familiar, psychological. As the practice goes on, uh, what it turns out to be, it's not a question of who you are, it's who you aren't. Because no matter what comes up in the mind, uh, more and more real Buddhist meditation is seeing that none of that's you. Uh, so that... Uh, uh, know thyself, which is uh, inscribed on the... Uh, 
the, the, the temple with a Delphic oracle uh, in Greek, and it is attributed to Socrates. Uh, no record that he said it, or the Plato said he said it, but that's the essence of Socrates' teaching, is know thyself. An unexamined life is not a life worth living. Let's put it positively. An examined life can be quite fulfilling and freeing and liberating. So this is a cry to don't put your faith in, in teachers or books or special methods. There's a role to play, and that's what I mean. The Buddha's teaching, uh, uh, the Buddha is saying, human race, you don't really know how to live. Let me give you a few hints. L learn how to listen to the teachings. In other words, there are some guidelines so we don't have to invent fire for the first time. Look, I, uh, many years ago, concluded that, especially when the joy of just simple breath awareness, when the mind can stay with the breath in a continuous way for a while, uh, it's lawful. What comes out of that is a tremendous feeling of peace and joy and energy and all kinds of wonderful things. Just by sitting there, and in, out, in, out, in, out, and temporarily not getting caught up in all of the melodramas that the mind uh, is you know, saying, hey, come on over here. This is much more instinct than the breath. And it's a good way to suffer, too. Come on. Okay. And we run because we've done it so many times. And until you really taste how valuable, uh, what, it's not so much the breath. What it is is that all the things that we've spent so much of our life energy being caught in. in other words, we, set, we, we set up house in these notions that come up in the mind. The mind says, you're a jerk. Yes, I am a jerk. We identify with whatever comes in the mind uh, and we come to regard ourselves as that. Depression comes in the mind, I'm depressed. I'm a depressive. Uh, the practice is, is certainly not that. Okay. Um, What the Buddha is saying, coming through me, of course, is uh, th there is help. There are teachings, there are teachers, there are signs. Boston, 45 miles. If you've never been to Boston, it's very helpful. Now, on my own, uh, and I think if we took the most brilliant human beings that we've known in this century, and let's say Einstein, from all fields, and uh, took care of them, put them in a think tank. You have nothing else to do but come up with something that can really bring a simple way of bringing some peace to us humans. I do not think they'd come up with breath awareness meditation. I didn't, and I wouldn't be able to. I'd still be uh, bumping into walls. So somebody else learned that. That actually precedes the Buddha. It goes way back into ancient yogic tradition. Uh, but it was given to me by some teachers saying, sit still and just follow your breath and uh, don't get, pre get caught in your preoccupations. Okay. In, out, in, out, in, out. It took a while and I realized, wow. And so teachings have something to offer. Or is there, uh, the Buddha's not saying don't take the counsel of the wise. There have been some wise people who've come before us. We'd be foolish not to weigh what they have to say or weigh our experience in terms of what they have to say. But he's saying, finally, you have to take responsibility for yourself. That's what I mean by listening to the teachings, listening to yourself, to your own heart. Now, to begin with, we have to do the best we can. Our heart is muddled. It's not clear. It's full of toxins. 
Greed, hatred, and delusion is the, uh, what you hear in Buddhist circles again and again. Um, mental toxins, they're afflictions. They cause actions, verbal and otherwise, that don't seem to uh, be beneficial for us humans or for the people in our lives. And so, and the breath is, you might say, well, that's so simple. And then the teachings are m m many more teachings, the teachings of what is a self and so forth. So the teachings are helpful. The Buddha is saying there is help. Here are some directives. But then what also is said is try it out. Test it. Is it true? Does it work? Is your life better for it? Now, I, uh, some of you know this. I ask people, okay, you've been practicing for a while. Have you actually experienced that the breath brings you some inner peace and calm? Not because I say so, or it's nice to read it in a book. Do you know it for yourself yet? And sometimes people uh, realize, I don't. But it just made me feel good to hear it being said again and again and reading about it. And then so, someone will say, oh, I definitely know that, sure. I, I'll throw, the, throw it back to you. If you've been doing this, do you know for a fact that if you can sustain your attention with breathing, it's a useful skill to learn? And that probably you wouldn't have come up with it on your own. At any rate, this one wouldn't have. Um, going too long? Oh, no, because uh, I have to lay a basis and then I really, the emphasis is going to be on, we'll work this out together. Um, so we need teachings of some kind. I'm not saying it's exclusively the Buddha's teachings, but this is what goes on here. This is one, one body of, of teaching that I know a little bit about. And we also need to, it's an active, energetic interplay between the teachings, putting the teachings into practice, uh, and seeing what comes out of it. Uh, so what is being encouraged here, no matter what techniques, methods you use, as Ajahn Chah, who's uh, been a very uh, influential teacher, certainly affected the teachers at this center, said, no matter how many techniques you have, no matter how many different schools and teachers you go through, finally, uh, it's going to come down to, do you know yourself or not? If you know yourself, you're not going to suffer. Well, you'll suffer less. The degree to If you don't, you're going to still keep suffering. You can get very, very concentrated and have temporary joy and bliss, but then, then what? So for me, what the Buddha is saying, and this is uh, very important for me, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Uh, so the proof of, the pudding, of this Buddha's pudding is in the eating of it. Does it really help you live your life? If so, full speed ahead. If not, try something else. In, the, in this Boston area, my goodness, there's lots of choices to make. But in order to find out if that's so, you have to give it a fair trial. So a certain amount of faith is needed to start. Um, I think that's all I want to say. Um, just one last uh, notion. Self-knowing, uh, as mentioned, is not limited to anything. It, so, for example, here are some obvious areas Here's one that I would not have come up with again on my own. The vital importance of psychological time. That is, uh, the distinction between clock time and psychological time. Psychological time then being um, virtual time, which is when the mind makes up a future. It's not real. There is no future. The mind is imagining how it's going to be, either a nightmarish future 
or a paradisical future. Oh, it's just going to be incredible. Or the past is over with. It's memory. It's also virtual time. So we're learning, the Buddha is saying, learn how to live in real time. Now. That's the only time there is. We have to learn how to relate to the future, you know, planning and so forth. There is use for the future, and there's use of what's come before us in our own lives. But uh, in, we're enslaved to psychological time, and we're enslaved because we don't even realize that that's what's happening. That's another teaching that helped me tremendously. That's why I teach it a lot here. Begin to see that, take a simple thing. A breath awareness, just a, we start all beginners that way, in, out, in, out, in, out. And if you pay attention, you'll see one person, they're distracted constantly about the past. The mind is constantly going back to an old wound, an old resentment, an old uh, happy days, uh, which are got the good old days that are not here and they haven't been here for 30 years or 40 years. But the mind doesn't want the breath, it keeps going back here. And then the next person comes into an interview, where are they? They're constantly making up better realities. Every, anything I can imagine has got to be better than the way it is right now. And so the mind is, is taken up with that. Uh, so you, already there's self-knowing. You're beginning to see your relationship to time. Uh, as one of my teachers, uh, uh, Mahagosananda, Jan Mahagosananda, a Cambodian uh, teacher, put it, uh, the question of, of, of uh, Dharma, of the Buddhist teaching, is, is whether you eat time or time eats you. Uh, that's well. I'm just saying it. Only he says it in a, a more fun way. Um, the other, how about suffering? What's your relationship to self? Self-knowing is there's no place where it isn't. We all suffer. Every human being. It, the Buddha is not saying life is just suffering, but every human being knows anxiety, anguish, etc. It's impossible to be alive without knowing it. Okay. Uh, the Buddha is saying, well, but how do we relate to it? I would say what, the, what these teachings are about is a revolution in the way we relate to our experience. It's the same experience that every human being has. If, you're, if you think of yourself as a Buddhist, it's not going to be different than somebody who's an atheist. Prick them, they'll bleed. Lose someone they love, it'll be painful. Uh, get promoted, we feel happy. What we're doing is we're looking at how relationship here is vital with, with each other, but relationship extends into everything. As if life is here to, to live, to be lived, that's how, first and foremost, before any of the ideologies, the thing that, you say, well, can you, what do you boil down? Well, I'm here, I'm alive. I do feel great confidence, forget about Buddhism and all the other isms. I'm, life is here to be lived, obviously. Okay, how do you do that? Well, uh, living has to do with relationship to nature, to objects, to food, to your body, to your mind, to your emotions, to, uh, you tell me, money. So all this is doing is rather than the, typically without any of this re-education, let's take suffering because that's such a basic one and vital. We're either drowned in our suffering, we identify with it, and we're worn out and demoralized by a certain age. Uh, life loses its charm, its freshness. Uh, we just get through the day. Or we repress it and deny it and escape from it. Those are two main ways. We avoid our suffering. And what the Buddha is saying is neither. Neither. 
He's saying, it's not a matter of drowning in your suffering or, no, everything's fine, okay, how's it going? Fine, terrific, okay. Uh, or, oh, I mean, so can you, if you got five minutes, let me tell you about, okay. It's right in the middle. It's saying, if there is suffering, very small stuff or uh, sorrow, deep sorrow, we're learning the art of that self-knowing is bringing this quality of presence, awareness, sensitivity with uh, the intention to learn rather than to judge, to understand rather than to judge. Knowledge is book learning. Understanding is the, so that the teachings I would call knowledge, when you make that your own through meditation, through uh, as you live out your life, learning from your life as you live it, including the cushion, uh, the knowledge becomes understanding. Understanding is what frees us, not knowledge. If all that we needed was more information and knowledge, the computers are not going to save anything. We have more than enough information. We've had it for a long time. It's a brilliant, wonderful, I enjoy mine very much. But what is short here is not more information. It's more understanding. And the understanding has to be intimate and personal. And no one can do it for us. You have to understand yourself. I have to understand myself. So that's the, the crux of what I'd like to, for us to get going today. So any, it's open field, you know, whatever, fair game, everything, whatever you would like to talk about. Um, I hope at least the framework is, you know, there's much more that you said, but I hope it gets us launched. Is there anything on you? Do you want to stand for a few moments and move? And, in fact, uh, this hall can be air-conditioned. I just don't know how to do it. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but if it, uh, if it becomes oppressive, I'll try to find out for this afternoon. Maybe someone, anyone here who knows how to do it? Oh, Ruthie? Good, yeah. Okay. I actually like it this way. It's kind of nice, but I don't know how you are doing. Okay, uh, I'd like to invite everyone to join me, please. I do know that one. It, it was more extreme for me. There was one point where I realized, why did I waste all those years playing baseball and basketball? You know, like, none of it interests me anymore. And I could have started meditating right out of the womb. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, why did you start? Why did you, why did you, what, I don't know the answer, and if I knew it, I wouldn't even give it to you. Uh, why did you start? What, what drew you to all this stuff? See, I'm not really sure. I mean, I just wanted okay. to, um, I knew my life really wasn't working, and nothing was working. Period. Full stop. <laughs> Great. That's one of, that's a, that's a, I can't think of better motivation. That's motivation you can trust. But now, then what? Then I guess you want to do something about it, or do you? Well, I know you do. You show up. Okay. Well, I wanted to, I, I realized that there was definitely some, something that I, I felt like I could grasp on when I was, felt like I was changing inside, which was very, um, it was encouraging. It just sort of kept giving me the momentum to build on that. But, it, you know, I, I did have a lot of regret. It's like, why did I have to look at all that suffering and turmoil and all that? Have you, yeah, so have you heard attachment it leads to suffering? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, but here, no, here's the, in other words, uh, that is how it was, and now your mind is, resents that. Your, uh, my life should have unfolded, I should have started much earlier. You can think that, but that suffering is going to go nowhere. Right. Um, each one of us has to start when we start, it seems. And we start with, we don't all, it's not an even playing field. Some people come out of uh, very, very damaged childhoods, uh, physical liabilities. Uh, you know, the, the difference among young, young beings, even when you see little, uh, in the, in the, right after birth, you know, I saw the te- temperaments are so different. Each child, so each, this practice is not to compare yourself with anyone else, but... You, you always start with yourself as you are, right here and now. So in that sense, you're always beginning again. And it has nothing to do with the person sitting to the left or right of you. Or it's, this is where you have to start. The other is a question. The, the Buddha wouldn't answer questions like that. The reason he wouldn't is because it go, it'll go nowhere. Uh, we could play a game and reflect, well, because you need... Uh, the fact is, but why are you asking the question today? That's what I really want to know. So I'm going to make you work. I'd, I'd put, I did my share. Now I'm going to make you guys work. Why are you asking that question now? I don't think about it now. I think I thought about it when I first started. And I but why are you asking it now? Because I think you, you were talking a little bit about sort of what brought you a little bit to meditation. But, you know, but finally, okay. I but, think that's probably what made me... Okay, why do you need to hear about, what, about me? Why? What's so interesting about it? Because um, I think it's interesting. I like to hear how other people are drawn to, are drawn to you. Okay, let's spend the rest of the day. Everyone will just, we'll all go. Um, but I do, you see, what brought me is not so different from what brought you. Yeah, I mean, there's always there's something that didn't feel right. Or maybe there was something that you just wanted. Okay, I have to, I don't want to be cruel. I'll satisfy your hunger for my biography. Uh, which uh, um, it comes a point came a point where the gap between my resume, very successful outwardly academically, and the inner poverty uh, became glare. It was like Grand Canyon. Now I don't know relative to other people. It's not like I was a serial killer or anything like that. But uh, relative to how I thought I should be feeling, because I was teaching at a super duper school, and how I actually was feeling, and as I looked around. That's what I meant by disillusionment. Uh, that is, I had, I was, it's growing up. 
a lot of growing up is, I don't, but you see, disillusionment sometimes implies despair and you give up and you're despondent. And uh, that's not what I'm talking about, although that can, that can certainly be part of it to begin with. It's like we have so many illusions, idealizations. And uh, if you live and pay attention, they, they start crumbling because an ideal isn't what life is. Life is just what it is. And the mind is constantly manufacturing images. The most important one is images of ourselves. When Bodhidharma, who brought uh, what is called Zen now from India to China, uh, was asked by the emperor, like, who are you? In other words, who, who is saying... He was saying all these things the emperor didn't like hearing because they undercut the emperor's wanting to be congratulated you know, for being so generous and you know, donating money for this temple and these monks and nuns and that monastery. And he was like, who, is, who, who do you think... You, who are you that's saying all these things? Uh, and Bodhidharma's answer, or one translation, which is the one I prefer, is, I have no idea. Okay, does that mean he's lost walking around Harvard Square like this? Just the opposite. Uh, it means he's not living, he knows he's not an idea about himself. He just is. He's a be, there's a be, beingness or isness. See, now if you start watching your mind, you're going to see how many fabrications, uh, sankharas, the mind makes up about itself. And then, of course, it, there's one where I'm a, I'm a Vipassana yogi or a Zen yogi or a Tibetan yogi or whatever you like. And then that one, it goes on forever. And then, of course, the most subtle one is I'm, no, I'm nothing. You know, as I have no, I'm uh, like Bodhidharma. I don't know who I am. Uh, and you, you can forge that into an, uh, into an, uh, into an, uh, an identity. You, you see? So finally, it's just, it's, it's letting go, letting go, letting go. Uh, as uh, one of my teachers put it, and this is one of my favorite teachings, don't make anything, then you can have everything. See, in other words, Bodhidharma was not confused, he was clear. He's not saying, I'm a, conventionally fine, I'm a, an Indian monk who's come here to teach uh, the Buddhist teaching. As long as you're not confused and you know that that's on the level of language, the conventional language has its role, but uh, he was Bodhidharma because he didn't, wasn't living from a place of notions about himself, but something much deeper. When you, stop, when you start letting go of all this baggage, see, we've created a very small place to live in, and we're trying to fix it up, what is sometimes called a prison, and we want to have golden bars instead of dingy you know, steel bars. Um, and the teachings are saying, get out of prison, Period. It's not, the question isn't replacing a dingy prison with one that maybe has a little more fresh air and some rehab, rehab activities and a library. It's to get out of prison, period. The prison is, our, is self-made. We've, we've created a notion of who we are, which we then believe in, and then we try to improve it. We are tormented by it. We present it to others. They see it or they don't see it. Uh, and... So we're uh, of the vastness that is each of, each of us has access to. Everyone in this hall has access to. We've enclosed it through thinking and notions and images. It's a very tiny possibility uh, is where we're living our life out. One of, the re one of the things the Buddha is saying we're ignorant of, ignorance is another term for, for disillusionment, for yes, for disillusion, for illusion, sorry, uh, is that we're ignorant of our full potential. 
uh, and everyone has the same full full potential, which is named different things. So, now I didn't come to this because I wanted to uh, I wanted to attain nirvana or anything of that sort. I started looking. I knew that I knew more about everything else than I knew about myself, and I saw that I was paying for it. So that's what got me started. But if that helps you to keep going, but I see you come here, you seem very committed and have plenty of energy. You don't need my biography anymore. No, I know. I just. Um, First of all, maybe. Okay. Okay. I'm like you. Uh, I've seen the light. Once, there, once I was in darkness, and now I've seen the light. Born again Buddhist. Please. Denial and letting go of the storyline that inspired yeah. to um, view the feeling, have the full experience, and not say, okay, no, you know, let go of the thought and feel like I'm still uh, processing the, or that I'm not shutting down. Okay, let me be clear about what is being said. Also, self, this inquiry, self knowing, uh, when I said that it changes as your practice ripens and matures, at the beginning there would be much more like investigation and inquiry, and some of that would be on a psychological level. Uh, and very often, I know I do and I know Michael and Ryan do as well, we'll suggest people go into therapy if they're not in it. Or there are some therapists who meditate and so we work together because some forms of therapy are better equipped to handle certain things than we are. Or, or both together. It's very much an individual matter. As uh, time unfolds, uh, uh, less and less do you have to, because this kind of investigation has some thinking in it. You know, it's a kind of active intervention. Let's see, uh, why am I this way? What's going on here? What's happening? Trying to understand, and, and it can be valuable. Uh, but when I'm talking about awareness, uh, see, uh, you say let go of your story? Okay. You have to be careful there, in my opinion, uh, because I hear letting go is very, uh, it's coin of the realm in Dharma centers. Everyone's letting go of everything because you find out that that's what's valued here, right? The Buddha said let go. And then, but when you listen closely, some of it is pushing away or throwing away or letting go of something you don't really want anyway. It does, so what's the big deal? So often letting go is synonymous with letting be. So let's say your storyline comes up. It's not a matter of crushing it. It's a matter of being aware of the mind and starting to learn what's going on. What the, what the mind is doing is making up a story about who you are. And then we identify, we, we are the storyteller, we're the audience, we're the whole show. You know, it's, a, it's Marcel Marceau, I don't know if anyone remembers him. You know, it's, it's a one-woman show, a one-man show, where the, the mind is making up, doing the whole thing. And then uh, liberation is from our story in this sense. And the letting go isn't so much as cut as uh, beginning to feel the difference between words and images that tell you who you are and how it is. And when you see them, they, they tend to fall away. And what you're left with is pure, just pure awareness. So that finally, the direction we're going in 
is you find that you finally who you are is awareness. It's awareness itself, but it isn't what you think it is right now, necessarily. And that awareness will express itself through your equipment. And through my, in other words, we won't be interchangeable. We're not going to be fungible goods. That is, if someone has a, a musical gift or a medical gift or whatever it is, their clear mind will express itself through those tendencies. So the, the person is still an individual. It's not like you are no longer recognizable as an individual. But the awareness I'm talking about is learning how to widen your capacity to receive your own experience fully, intimately, without judging it. It's not analyzing it. It's not interpreting it. It's not figuring out, oh, this is because that. Although at the beginning I think there is more of that and some of that can be helpful. What I'm saying is as time goes on, the letting go is far superior than figuring out your personality. And that brings you an energy that is superior. And, and more and more you want to live from that energy. It's clearer. It has more wisdom and kindness in it. And you start to see that. Rather than keep patching up the personality and trying to figure out what's wrong with it and fixing it endlessly, uh, I don't think you can. I think personalities, it's quicksand. It's just always changing, changing, and life keeps changing, and then it's stuck. It's like 10 years ago or even older. Uh, whereas what we're talking about is self-knowing is being fresh right here and right now. Now, it, the ego doesn't like it. When it hears what I'm saying, it's terrified. Because that means it's out of business, or it's not, it doesn't reign supreme anymore. You still have a personality. It's, it's not, you would be noticeably different than me, etc., all of us. Am I getting at what you're saying? I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, no, I, try, try again, because I have a... Well, I think, you, I think a piece of what you said addressed it directly. Um, okay, what's left over that hasn't been dealt with? Of course. Of course. Ah. You see, I am addressing myself to that in my, in my big fat opinion. Yeah. Okay. Um, because it, that isn't the choice. Uh, the, the, the choice is to look at the sadness. Okay. Now, sometimes the sadness is very, very potent. Or you try to do it practically, and you're overwhelmed by it. You bring mindfulness to it, and you get enveloped. So then sometimes it's practical. Uh, switch to channel breath. Switch to channel metta, loving kindness. Switch to taking a nice walk in nature, whatever it's you, you know. But more and more, this is a wisdom path. And wisdom is understanding. Wisdom grows, in other words, self-knowing is the first step in the development of wisdom. If you don't want to know yourself, uh, but you want to be a wise person, it's like saying you want to be a surgeon, but you don't want to get blood all over you. It just makes no sense. Uh, so... Uh, 
it doesn't mean either or. There are times, it, it's not that you don't appreciate nature. And well, you, you, I don't know you, but of course you have a lot of blessings. You know. and, but there's also this sadness that let's say it's a loss of a certain kind. So it's not either or, it's learning skillfully how to work with them. And what I'm saying is, at the beginning, we're more likely, see what you were doing, a lot of it is um, useful thinking. In other words, it would be Dharma reflections, insightful reflections. Well, it's, it could be something like, it's not the end of the world, this too will pass, I did my best, I couldn't help it, or whatever, you know, whatever it is. So that, but that's the mind trying to talk itself into a better place. It's okay. What I'm saying is, as the, as the practice ripens, you do less and less of that. Because more and more, you want to live in what is, just the way it is. You'll see, because that's how you transcend what is. What is, is just now. And there's nothing but now. Okay, now that, so that some of the things you mentioned are useful. You can keep doing them, but more and more, can you be aware of sadness? Not the word, but the, okay, and if you feel that it's too much or you're unable to do it in a particular sitting, find some other skillful way to keep, keep awareness alive, even though you're not, but you know what you're doing. It's not repression or denial. You realize, whoa, I'm very sad, but I'm not up to it today. It's not denial. It's sort of like a skillful, I know I'm sad, and I know it's not, I can't do it. My awareness is not steady enough. It's just practical. So I better go back and do some more breath awareness, do some walking meditation. Little by, so we're bringing the mind into a condition where it's more able to accomplish uh, what these words are suggesting. That we, do, you, do you see what I'm getting at? And so the, the, each person's practice doesn't unfold in a nice and tidy way. It's like that's what, one of the roles for exchanges like this. It is your life has to unfold in your way. And how can this practice be of any help? Or can it be of any help? Okay. And... Um, we have to take your condition in its own right. And so, but more and more, uh, the whole point of what the Buddha is saying is that you're going to do it yourself. Be a lamp unto yourself. It's one of the last messages of the Buddha. That doesn't mean we can't accept help, but finally we're learning how to stand on our own two feet. If you're sad, you know that the sadness has to be taken care of. And the best way to take care of it is through awareness, a non-judgmental. And some reflection, like what you were doing, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. Want me to do all the work? It's not going to happen. Please. Sure. Awareness is awareness. Acceptance is an attitude. Now, I know people talk that way, accept everything that's happened to you. That's in the right direction. But what I'm talking about is the art of pure observation as allowing it to be what it is. So say you have a situation that goes, you have to deal with every day that creates fear in you. And you in, in daily life we're talking about that. Sure. not just sitting. If you're, let's say you're in this situation, I'm making this up, so you go to work and there's a situation that is, produces fear in you a lot, okay? It's not that you have to run home to your cushion, scurry home and go sit, or go to the ladies' room and in and out, in and out, in and out. 
that might help a little bit too, but you can, with practice, learn how to be in touch with the fear, maintain some inner focus as you're engaged in action. Because otherwise, this is saying, um, this is all passivity, uh, fatalism. No, life goes on, and we have to do the best we can with how we are as of right now. We can't wait till we're perfect, till we're all-seeing, all-compassionate beings. We can't. Uh, on the way is we're learning and living, learning and living, living and learning. It's an on- but you see, if you enjoy that process, rather than getting fixated on getting the, the degree at the end, which is I'll be a totally happy person, and they'll give me a certificate, you are completely and totally happy and free. Whew, it only took me 40 years. Uh, rather, the process, what we're saying is practice, uh, you see, okay, so now you walk into work, and it starts. You're, I'm making something up. Uh, you start at your desk, and X walks in, and you can feel uh, the heart rate changes, the shoulders change. Uh, with practice, you can learn how to maintain your inner focus. Uh, as you pay attention to X, you know, let's say he's, he or she is your superior, and you have to, and you do the job little by little. You can now sometimes you have to mainly your attention has to be on the job. You have to understand the instructions and what, okay. And at other times, you're a little bit more here. But we typically, we're cut off from our experience, certainly when in action. We're too busy. We're totally out there. Or if you're afraid, you already have a history of being afraid. That's why you're telling me about it, right? So what happens? You either bear it, right? You're going through the day afraid. Or you have ways of setting it aside so it's bearable. You tell me. What do you do? How do you handle it as of now? What does that mean? I, I just came to this country. I don't know what it means. What does working through it mean? Um, I find meditation, I'm, I'm meditating a lot more and I'm finding... Meaning sitting? Yeah, I'm sitting a little bit more regularly and, and I find that it helps me cope with the situation a little bit better. That's right, moment. right. What? Just that awareness. So are you saying anything different than I'm saying? No, I don't. But it doesn't go, I mean, it, it doesn't go away. It's not expected to go away. It's, it's How about throwing all your expect, expectations away? But you see, well, then we have to get clear, what do you mean by awareness? I'm sorry to be so nitpicking, but I have to be. People will say, oh, I do that. And, they, and well, what, what is that? You know, like, yeah. Uh, oh, lonely. Yeah, I say it's lonely. Let's go out and have a... Uh, this means... A real openness to it, feeling it. it. If it comes up uh, when you sit, great. I mean, not great, but that's what's there. So that's what you practice with. And throughout the day, maybe there also are reflections. Now, coping is not good enough. Granted, we have to do it to begin with. Coping, postponing, this is what we already do. We're experts at postponing. Uh, someday I'll tell that person over, I'll explain to them why I don't. But someday, and then 20 years, well, when is the someday going to come? We don't because I'm afraid. Why are you afraid? Because I'll lose my job if I'm honest with my boss. Okay, uh, that might be true, and I have five children I have to support. So this isn't saying go into the streets and become homeless in the name of... So then you have to work with the fact that in this situation, you can't tell this person 
everything, but do you have to suffer along with it so much? In other words, can you ease your burden? The person is not going to change. Sometimes what happens is when you change, they change without even knowing it. There's a circuit going on. We're all doing it to each other. Okay, but what I'm talking about is an openness and a receptivity. Acceptance, here's why I'm careful about acceptance. That's like you talk yourself into, I, I just have to learn how to accept these things because they're inevitable, they're part of my work situation. That's in the right direction. But w the art of self-observation is purer than that. There's no, there's no thinking in it, none. It's like a clear mirror with no scratches, no flaws. And so you're feeling, we call that fear, let's say. Little by little, uh, the fear starts to thin out. But also we begin to understand, why am I afraid? You may see that the source of the fear are thoughts that you have. That, the, the, that you're, just before the fear started, someone comes in and then there are thoughts. Oh, here comes X and they're going to do it again. Uh, he, she did it yesterday and two days ago and it's going to come. And then once those thoughts start in, then the fear automatically. So that's what self-knowing is. You start to understand how your mind behaves in that situation. It's not, I can't give you, uh, just sit down, breathe in and out, in, out, in, out. It's not a mechanical process. It's artistic in this sense. Uh, ingenuity is needed, subtlety, reflection, sensitivity. Uh, as you come to understand yourself in the situation, and like at the beginning, there is some thinking and some reflection, which just has some thought in it, but they're wise reflections. You know, because typically we have thoughts anyway, but they're more, he's a, he, she is a rotten boss, and I'm, I'm a good worker, and they still do this to me. We waste all of our energy just on the outer world. It may be true. Maybe they are a terrible boss. Okay. But in the meantime, we're suffering and coping and putting up with and postponing, and the years go by. So uh, if you more and more can take care of what's happening, uh, the mind gets clearer, and then what to do, to say or to do, including quitting, in my example, I don't know if it's work. Yeah, this is actually a child with a chronic illness. Why not tell me that? Okay. Why not tell me that? See, uh, a child with a chronic illness. What? Okay, look. Uh, this is why I'm, I'm inviting you to join me. I told you about my childhood, <laughs> right? You know, now it's not that I want to, I'm nosy, but, but see, it's, the principle is the same, but it's a bit different because there's a child, right? Okay, so some of it is reflection. The child is doing the best that the child can. Okay, so, but it's, then what is it bringing up in you? It could bring up, uh, disappointment, frustration, anger, whatever. The point is not that there's a special way you're supposed to feel. Well, if it's a mother, well, mothers love their children. A good mother wouldn't be like this, but I want to strangle it. You know, okay. Uh, it's more working with, it's training in honesty, this whole self-knowing project. And so it's not to strangle a child, but it's to begin to see resistances and frustrations and uh, and also you can use reflection like the child came into the world this way uh, but now the degree to which you work on the impact the child's having on you enables you to be a better adult 
in terms of being more helpful with the child. The degree to which you're not working on yourself, uh, maybe you'll behave according to some should, some ideal. A good mother, a good therapist, a good nurse, a good whatever. Okay. Uh, by all means, you know, express yourself in a motherly, if that's what it is or whatever, kind way. But don't lose touch with what's really going on because as you do, it loses its power. And whew, I think I have to, you have to understand, as the mind gets clearer, you have access to a resource that you may not know you have right now. And so I have to tell you you have it. That doesn't mean it's true, but it may be true. How will you find out? There's a tremendous... Finally, meditation is an explosion of love. If wisdom doesn't explode until it's then the same thing, there's no separation. Then it's not the love I'm talking about is not I love you, honey, booby. If you're if you leave me, I'll you know I, 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 I'm not talking about that. It's something uh, much deeper and different. But you know, um, as the mind stops getting caught on its own productions, identifications, which limit you, uh, that the mind you experience it it becomes more spacious and more silent. Okay? And as you can tap that silence, the silence has, is highly charged with life. And what's in it, to me, that's why I become a mystic at a certain point. I don't know what's going on. But I know when my mind gets quiet, the most important healing goes on there. I come out of it a, a more compassionate. I wasn't practicing anything. I was just allowing the silence to work on me. And so... Uh, it, in this tradition, we sometimes call it the original mind. Not who you think you are, which is a, an accumulation of your life experiences, conditions. Mama, Papa, school, and all the rest. Uh, who Your original mind. The original mind, there's no suffering in that mind. There never was, there never will be. Hard to believe? How will you test it? We have to get through the the the... the uh, ordinary mind in order to taste it, at least here. But if you even get a glimpse of it, more and more, that gives you a resource that you didn't have before. More love, more patience. But it's not like you're cultivating patience or love. It's that it's in us. And that's when the Buddha says you have uh, immense potential. All spiritual teachings are saying this. Okay, but we don't know it. So how do you tap that potential? This way, the path of self-knowing or wisdom is through knowing yourself and letting go of pretty much all of it. Uh, who are you? I have no idea. So, and that, see, see if you enjoy learning, um, let's back up. Many of us have enjoyed learning and some of us, maybe all of us know, it also isn't such joy because once the school system gets hold of learning and then it becomes ambition and striving and career and you know who gets fired and who gets hired and who gets tenure and who gets this and who you know it gets the it's poison but pure learning in and of itself watch a child learn what happens to like all the people in central square who've been battered by life at one point i think most if not all of them were sweet little children what happened to them okay something did but if you watch a child learning uh watch a child learning how to walk they fall down, they get up, they fall down, and there's glee there, you know, and they fall down. They're not like, they're not like us yet. They don't say, well, uh, the, 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 when, when do children start learning to walk? One year? What? Yeah. Um, well, the kid next door, he learned at, a, you know, at six months. I mean, you know, 
I got, and then you fall down and say, I'm, not, I'm no good, and then we have to go into infant therapy. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the child doesn't do that yet. They just, they enjoy the process of learning. Okay, now what is being suggested here is that whatever your relationship to learning, there must be there's something good about learning. Uh, it's good. Now, even if it's been poisoned, can we save it? Can we resurrect it in some way? But the learning here is not about biology, etc. It's learning about yourself. If you can enjoy the process, uh, and that includes seeing suffering, and that includes seeing things we don't want to be there. But you understand that you're doing the most skillful thing you can do for yourself. You're opening up to the truth of how things are for you. Now, whether the promise of the Buddha is, and others that there's an incredible reality waiting for you, uh, personally, I have had a little bit of a glimpse of it, or I'd be an idiot to, to teach this stuff. Well, people do it, but and I, you don't believe me. Maybe I'm just pretending to be so open so that you'll believe in me. And that I really, I don't know, I just memorized all this stuff. I'm just, could be. I, I'm in the business. You should not trust me. Listen to me carefully, but don't trust me. Watch me carefully. You'll see that I plan. Ask my wife. <laughs> there, just take out the garbage. That's the main thing. Uh, so you see, it's an odd, if you can, if you're lucky, you'll fall in love with the process, not with the uh, the reward at the end of the rainbow. That if I do this, if I just sit, and how many retreats do I have to do? How, how long do I have to sit? Uh, Am I ready for the three-month retreat yet? You know, it's like jogging. You know, I see there are two categories for me. They're the joyless joggers are the ones it's medicinal. You know, for some it's good for you. It's like cod liver oil. Everyone's hating. And then there are people who really like to run. It's so different. They're not necessarily even fast, but they just enjoy it. Uh, get into the process of waking up. Please. Oh, of course. In life, kind of being mindful and aware in the moment. Um, how come? <laughs> Are you I, new to meditation? I am. Sitting? I've been looking at trying to have a practice for about four years. Yeah. I, uh, I suffer with um, self-hatred and, and not being able to sit and practice. You've tried it. becomes it. one of these. Yeah, I've tried multiple times. And, you know, what happens? Days and then... Um, so you want a pep talk from me? Yeah. <laughs> you want you want artificial respiration. <laughs> I want a reason why I, why it doesn't because I, I go to talks like this. I think about these things. I read. I um. I mean, I teach mindfulness. Oh, um, really? Yeah. I, I well. Why do you do that? Well, it's, it, I'm a therapist, and I part of the reason I got into this is because part of the treatment I do is based on Zen Buddhism and part of the core skills to teach people who are having trouble regulating their emotions is uh, mindfulness. Are you mindful of yourself? I am mu much more mindful of myself. All sitting is, is practicing that, but it's practicing it in a very protected way so that you have a chance of really refining that process. You can get much more concentrated than, is, than at the beginning is possible in the complexity of living. And uh, the fact that it's hard for you, uh, I think that's a universal experience. The mind is wild to begin with. 
But then let's say, but you don't only have to sit. You can also practice, as we're saying, everything in life, practice mindfulness. But does sitting have something uh, very precious to offer that I would say it does? It, it isn't just, uh, oh, yeah, sit if you want, don't sit if you don't want. Um, I, I haven't seen that to be so. Because uh, especially, you see, at a certain point, uh, it, the sitting produces tremendous joy. Tremendous. Uh, and also tremendous sorrow. Whatever is there. That's it. Look, it, the practice is about being mindful of what's there. That's, as we say, the bottom line. Can you do that? And we can't. We're learning how to do that, no matter what it is. Sadness, this, X, Y, Z. Okay, but what I, so when you try to sit, um, you get discouraged because what? Your mind is wild? Okay, and then there's suffering, right? Um, yeah. Of course. Yeah, not in the moment. Um, well, maybe there's in the moment. Your mind isn't getting calm. You don't like that. Right. Okay. See, sometimes we have to acknowledge suffering. We don't want to admit that we're suffering, as if it's an insult. You know, people, it, it's quite a step to be humble enough to be able to say, I'm suffering, for all of us. But at any, at any rate, can we have a show of hands? Because I look around, many of you have been sitting quite a while. Uh, how many of you had a very difficult time at the beginning? Look around. How about this side? Yeah. So you don't have to feel lonely now. At least you know you've got company. And not only that, <laughs> not only that, if you read the ancient texts, it's always been so. The Tibetans talk about, the, see, you've attained the cascading mind. You already have a, an accomplishment. The cascading mind is like waterfall mind. Blah, 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 blah. He said, she said, maybe, when, oh, who, he, blah. you know, all over the place. Okay, if you see that, uh, then you know, my goodness, this is the condition of my mind. Okay, that's true. Okay, and then you can duck out of it, or you can say, or, and it's a dangerous place because people get discouraged. It's a fork in the road. You can say, this is hopeless. How can I ever calm down? Okay. Uh, look how wild the mind is. What I'm saying is countless people before you, many of them sitting in this room, have had the same feelings, even of discouragement, and there's a fork in the road. You can choose, I can't do it, it's not for me. What was your term, self, bad self-image or something? Just, yeah, self-hatred. All right, self-hatred. Okay, here's just another way to reinforce that one. Well, that's what I'm... Yeah, no, but... Exactly, but then there's another fork, and the fork has is two, right? The other path which I would inquire, which I would encourage you to take, is that there is help. The cavalry is on the way. You know the cowboy movies. So keep at it. What? So keep at it. It's not yes, but certainly keep at it. But there's more than keeping at it. Help when you sit with a group of people. It's easier. That's why we do sit because we all keep each other. We inspire each other. Uh, and then uh, people like me, sideshow barkers. My job is, you know, to uh, keep talking it up when you need it. At a certain point, and some of you I can see in your faces, you've had enough. When is he going to shut up, right? Admit it. <laughs> but it's, uh, I, and I wish I could. Do you think I like blabbing like this? <laughs> some of it is chronic psychological illness that I have. But a lot of it is that I can see that many people need to hear more. Um, but let's back up. See, there's already wisdom possible. You're sitting and you sit for 20 minutes and you're still not calm. 
and you've heard this is development of peace and calm, and you want it because you know what the absence is. Okay. Okay, but then it isn't happening then. Okay, and then the mind, it's not happening now. One of the main uh, wisdom teachings, this is a very basic one, is that craving and attachment causes suffering. Okay, anything, so that this is a small case of it, so that you can save something from it by realizing, oh, I'm suffering right now. You don't have to wait till you're tremendously red-hot concentrated before wisdom can come up any time with just your ordinary mind. And you begin to recognize, I'm suffering in this moment. I get it. First noble truth, there is suffering in human life. Second noble truth happens when I want things to be other than the way they are. And as a result, I suffer. And you see, oh, this is, and there's a certain joy of learning that can come from that. Uh, even if, you might think it's a small thing, but you learned it for yourself. See, if you just read in a Buddhist book, it's interesting. And it might be even impressive, tears streaming down your cheek. But when you discover it for yourself, it's very different. It's your own now. And then let that spread so that more and more, some days are, are rough, you know, to, to be with the breath, others are not. And so, you, so the learning can actually be a, help you ease into this. It's not just raw patience, you know, putting up with it until one of these days I'll get it and I'll be really peaceful. <laughs> I see that. Okay. Uh, one last one, and then I think we ought to do some sitting together. If not, I'm going to put something on your mind, since maybe it's not something that warrants discussion. More and more uh, people are talking about um, what's happening in the world and uh, feeling discouraged and frightened. Uh, for example, uh, I'm in touch uh, with the Russian, uh, Russian Jewish immigrant community. My wife is of that background. And some of the immigrants, I would say this is every immigrant goes through this. It's part of growing up. Have a very romantic, idealized version, view of what America is. Okay. And then they come here, and then they find out Enron? How could... And then they find out, I mean, all these people don't have medical coverage? And then we make war on Iraq? Why? You know, and then and the suddenly... Um, disillusionment. America isn't what I wanted it to be. I thought it was... Uh, we, we project onto it what it's going to do, fix everything. Okay? And it, it never did, and it never will, and it certainly isn't doing it now. Now, there are Americans now who are born here who also feel uh, concerned. With, like, I don't remember it being like this, you know, where just a lot of the directions seem uh, unconstructive and unkind, and all about money, just money, piling it up for some. And uh, So... <laughs> Whatever, and fear of unemployment, a fear of uh, perhaps there's a draft if you have children, will I have to go into the military? Don't rule that out, because there are now views that uh, we might have to stay in Iraq forever. Not literally, a long time. Well, no one's signing up, right? People are not signing up for the job anymore, 40% down in the military. No, one's, no one wants to, no one, parents want their children to go over there and die. For what? Okay, they're not sure. We were sure that it is a good reason. Fine, but so far there are many people who are not convinced yet, if ever. Uh, there may not be, not, and we're bombarded with it, day in and day out, CNN, Fox, etc., etc. Um, 
if, it, if that isn't a source of anything, then of course let's not talk about it. But uh, it is for some people. Now, the disillusionment, uh, again, is part of growing because finally here's the challenge for us as I see it. Uh, how to live, this is the world we actually live in. Do, do, you, do you know that? It's everything that you, whatever you want to say, Bush, this one, that one, Rumsfeld, uh, money goes to money, whatever you want. This is the world we live in. This is a fact. Okay. Uh, and uh, most people don't meditate, are not vegetarian, uh, and uh, don't feel the way you do, and uh, maybe are rude, and maybe throw their, discard their debris on the sidewalk. And in other words, people are not living the way you want them to. And that may be true always. You know, there's a, an ancient phrase, the poor have always been with us. Well, the poor are always with I'm not fatalistic about it. But the point is, practice, Dharma practice is learning how to go to that place which is untouched by CNN, which has nothing to do with good news, bad news, in-between news. And it doesn't mean not to be compassionate. If you want to be a political activist, by all means. But let it come from a place that's more reliable than anger and hatred. Uh, whatever it is, this is the world we have to learn how to live in. We're going to have to learn, if nothing else, a world of non-meditators. When, when the practice gets strong, people have a practice. I'm watching all these people, they make so much suffering for themselves. It's sort of what I'm telling you now, and then they start seeing everyone. Why don't they learn how to meditate? There's just so much unnecessary suffering, and, uh, and you see all the flaws and pimples in everyone, uh, maybe not yourself. Um, well, that ha that's a phase that you have to go through. Disillusionment with America is part of growing up. Uh, I've had to tell one Russian person, can you forgive America for, being, for not being perfect? It's just, it's human. Uh, and are there any good things going on here? I said, of course. I say, okay, but this is, I say, go, do you want, would you like to go back to Russia? Not the way, it, it often says, go back to Russia if you don't like it here. I said, would you like to return to Russia? <laughs> uh, say, okay, but this is true. It is this way right now. So we're not helpless. What this is about, if you want to change the world, start with yourself. And everyone will do that differently. Some of you may be politically active. and already, Great, do it. Some of you may be concerned with, with uh, ecology and pure air and pure water. Very high priority. Incredibly high. Do that. It's not... Uh, there's no one way to live a wise and kind life. But step number one is, uh, at least from this point of view, is start with yourself again and again and again. Because whatever it is that we are, that's what we, the stamp we put on everything we do. You can't deliver to the world or your children or whatever more than who you are. So we're working on that, on the who. One last one? No? Let's sit. If you want to stand first, it's okay and stretch.